the book of Galatians chapter 5. We just want to read one verse, but we're going to look at quite a number of portions of Scripture. Does anyone have any tissues I could wipe my brow with, please? Alison, maybe. Thank you. I prefer up my handkerchief. Thank you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. We want to speak this evening on the offense of the cross. The cross is an offense to many, not only to the saved, but now in church we find that the cross is an offense. Let us just by in a word of prayer. Our eternal God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your Spirit that is with, who is with us in our midst. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that, Lord, you see, know, and hear every heart and every voice and everything. Pray, Lord, that the cross would be, Lord, seen afresh through the hearts and minds of your people tonight. Lord, a fresh glimpse of Calvary, a fresh glimpse of the Son of God dying in our place, in our room and in our stead. We pray, Father, tonight that you would speak deep to our hearts. And Lord, if there be one who knows you not still as Lord and Savior, we pray or this night be over. They find themselves winding their way to the foot of the old rugged cross. You're all together lovely. You are the chiefest among any 10,000 of our souls. Precious to me. Jesus, my Savior, is precious to me. Make yourself precious to others. And let your voice be heard. For Jesus' name's sake, I ask it. Amen. The offense of the cross is uh, widely propagated among not only other faiths or many in other faiths, but also even throughout Christianity, so-called Christianity, I should say, today. We find that through this, there are men and women who profess and who proclaim to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And yet we find also in that uh, that they don't want to know the responsibility of the cross work of Christ. When I speak of the offense of the cross, I don't mean any old cross, and I don't mean a, a piece of wood. I'm speaking of the cross work of Christ when he died on Calvary's tree. Speaking of the cross work of Christ when he shed his precious blood for the remission of our sin, for the cleansing of our sin. I speak of the cross work of Christ that he went all the way and he died in our place. He took our sin, and he took our shame, and he took our sorrow and our suffering. He took our sickness upon him and he bore it in his own body on the tree. So when I speak of the cross, 
I speak of the cross of Christ and what he has accomplished there. You see, preaching the cross means that others will not like it for the offense of the cross will turn men and women away who are liberal in their theology. The preaching of the cross will turn Christians away who thinks an antiquated uh, old relic that we no longer need to preach or even to go back to to visit, even though we are Christians, that we have been there, we have seen it, we have done it, let's move on. And the preaching of the cross is an offense to many. The Apostle Paul, in the context of our reading of this one verse tonight from Galatians 5 on verse 11, he says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. And without getting into the, the whole uh, ins and outs of it, Paul had advised Timothy to be circumcised in his flesh, not because it profited him anything to do with favor toward God, but because it profited him favor toward the Jews. Simple, that's all it was. And so many of them were blaming Paul. You're saying that salvation is by grace through faith. And you're saying that men cannot save themselves by the covenant of the circumcision of the flesh. Yet you tell Timothy to do that. And Paul is saying, if I am preaching salvation by works, if I am preaching salvation by circumcision of the flesh, he says, if I am preaching salvation through Christ and Christ alone and faith in him, he says, then, if I am, then why, he says, then is the offense of the cross not ceased. I'm still persecuted because I preach the cross of Christ. I'm still persecuted, he says, because I still believe and I have still had the revelation and I still preach the cross of Christ and no other way, no other means, no other method. For Paul himself was a junior Sanhedrin member, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, Jewish by his religion. And he comes and he says, I am all of those things, but it it affords me nothing in favor with God. He says, salvation is by grace through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. When we preach the cross of Christ and other religions now, to be politically correct, we are now coming to the point where the preacher or those who are testifying Jesus and his saving grace are unable to say that Christ is the only and the exclusive way to the Father, that Christ is the only and the exclusive way to heaven, that Christ is the only and the exclusive way for the forgiveness of sin. And to be politically correct now, you have to say he's one of many ways. Brothers and sisters, Christ is exclusively and only the way to the Father, the way to heaven, and the way to the forgiveness of our sins. Christ on Christ alone. We said without fear or favor, for the Word of God tells us that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none under them under heaven, given among men whereby we must be saved. Or as the Greek New Testament put it, there is no second name. There isn't even another name where you can come for your salvation. None other but Jesus and Jesus only. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14 and 6. So he says exclusively himself, I am the way, not a way, not a certain way, or one of many ways, or one of a few ways, or one of a couple of ways even. He exclusively takes the disciples' ideology and their their, their thinking. He says, me, boys, me, it's an I and an I alone. I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Paul says, Christ is exclusive. Paul says, Christ is the only way. And it's not in a circumcision. Paul says, I am not, I am not preaching works. I am not preaching ordinances. I am not preaching ceremony. I am not preaching religion. He says, I'm preaching a person. I'm preaching Christ and Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, the word of the gospel is that there is only one gospel. And anything outside of repentance to God, anything outside of the blood of Jesus is an heresy for salvation. There's no other way, there's no other means, and there's no other method than coming by faith. That even the faith that we have has been imputed by God, regenerated in the Spirit. It's not of ourselves, and it's all of Him. He says, then is the offense of the cross ceased. In other words, if I preached circumcision, the offense of the cross would not be upon me. He says, the Romans hate me. The Jews hate me. He says, everybody hates me. Even the heathen hate me because I preach Christ and the cross of Christ. You may find that there be men and women in your workplace or in your school place or in the university or wherever you may be, or even in the church, who will say, don't be hard around the cross. Don't preach the blood of Jesus, but preach soft words to the people that you do not offend them. The cross of Christ will offend the flesh. The cross of Christ will offend the unsaved. The cross of Christ will offend the spirit. There's offense to come at the preaching of the cross. That's why men and women don't want to hear what the cross has. And what the cross does. Because with the cross, there is responsibility. Did you hear that, brother, sister? The cross brings responsibility to you. You've heard that it's Christ and Christ alone. And so no matter what way this world goes, no matter what way Britain goes, no matter what way Europe goes, no matter what way Ireland goes, or Ulster, no matter what way your workplace goes, it's the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. And as our nation has become more and more multicultural in faith and religion, you must stand up, stand up for Jesus and proclaim it's Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way. There is no other means. There is no other method. There is no other payment for our sin but the blood of Jesus. Here Paul says, then is the offense of the cross ceased. Ask yourself, what does the cross really mean? Is it just a piece of jewelry? Is it just another story? Is it something we sing about in a hymn or a song? And well, it's nice to sing about it. Or is it emblazoned on your breast? Is it imprinted upon your mind? Is it engraved in your heart? The cross of Christ, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is it, is it bore right into your very psyche and your being? 
Do your, does your very flesh that does your very flesh cry out for God because of the Spirit of God that is in you? Because God has quickened your very soul. The cross of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. The cross of Christ is everything that we need. It's all there. The cross of Christ is the center of the universe. The sun is not the center of the universe. The cross is the center of the universe. The cross is the center of humanity. The cross is the center of mankind. The cross is the center of time and eternity. The cross of Christ brings offense because men and women don't like to hear of the cross. The cross shows us that we have a Savior. The cross tells us the Lamb of God was slain. And the cross shows us something special and something wonderful and something great. And so it brings an offense to man that he no longer wants to hear about the cross because he is the only way to salvation. Ask yourself what this cross means. Is it a a nice song, a story? There are a few points I want to look at tonight. And if you'll just turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 3. It's the next book over, Philippians chapter 3. We have, first of all, the offense of the cross. Now we want to look at the enemies of the cross. The enemies of the cross. Philippians chapter 3. And just let your eye please run down to verse 16. Nevertheless, we're to, we have already attained, let us walk the same rule, but let us keep, let us mind the same thing, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an ensample. Notice this, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies the cross of Christ. Paul is saying there were those who walked with us and they have drawn back from the cross of Christ. You know why? It offends them. It offends them. It's a marker in the heart and mind that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And whenever we look at that, it offends man because man thinks that he's his own God. That when, he's, when he sees a Savior on a cross, he has to look at that Savior. And he has to realize if he doesn't respond to that Savior, if she doesn't respond to that Savior, if she doesn't accept that Savior, the one who shed his blood and died, then there is no other way. So they start to think different of the cross. They become enemies of the cross. Even walking. And Paul says to us in Philippians chapter 3, And verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, Paul is heartbroken over them. What does the cross mean to you, brother or sister? Whenever you're outside somewhere and you're, you're, you're getting up to something and you know you shouldn't be getting up to, or somebody's living a life that they know they shouldn't be living, is the cross before you the payment for your sin? Is it real to you? 
Is it real whenever you're on your own? Is it real when you're lying in your bed? Is it real when you're closing your eyes at night? Is it real whenever you open your eyes in the morning? How real is the Christ of God? Is he a living saviour or is he a relic on a piece of wood? The living Christ in me goes with me everywhere. Here, there are two things I want to look at to do with the enemies of the cross. The first one, they were legalists. They were legalists. The enemies who were legalists, that means that they trusted themselves to keep a law. They were good enough by their own works. They didn't need the blood of Jesus. And they were glad, yes, maybe Jesus died for us, but sure, I have to sit so rigid. Everything has to be so tight. Everyone has to walk a certain way. And if they're not in our club and clan and have a letter to belong to us, then you're lost. And that was legalistic. Paul says that is the enemy of the cross. Then on the other side, there were the liberalists who celebrated their supposed liberty in Christ by indulging in the flesh. And you will hear that today everywhere. I've heard it all this week. I've heard it even today of different ones. I've heard it of, uh, even today of a Christian who was uh, taking the things of the world and even asked his own pastor and he was told he was all right. Oh, it's all grace. Live how you like. Do what you want. Liberalize your life. Walk how you like. Talk how you like. Live how you like. I was sent a, a, a clip during this week and instead of doing gospel, gospel meetings, there, some of the churches are now doing fashion shows. The liberality of the church of the 21st century is leading thousands or millions to hell. They're leading men and women, young men and women, thinking this is Christianity, and it's so easy. Oh, the, the worship's great, and everything's good, but they don't know Christ. They don't know him. Turn with me to Matthew 16, please. Matthew 16. The Lord Jesus gives us an example of a person like this. Matthew 16, verse 24, please. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is it? Is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Notice this. Jesus says that you're more important and your soul is worth more than this whole world. And he says, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Now, there's an offense in that. You mean you're making demands on me, Jesus, to take up my own cross and follow you? To live my life not the way I want, but the way you want? You mean thing, say I may have to sacrifice? I may have to sacrifice friends? I may have to sacrifice loved ones? Are you saying I might have to sacrifice my desires, my lusts, and my wants, and my will? Are you saying I'm going to have to give it up? And he's saying, yes! Do you want me? 
Yes. When we take up our cross, it's not for salvation, it's for sanctification. I want to get it over to you. When we take up our cross, it's not for salvation, it's for sanctification. The church is no longer in many areas sanctified unto Christ. Do you know what happens? And I've had it even in here because of the word that is preached in here. After a while, people say, I'm going to go to another church where it's easier. And they have. And they have. Brothers and sisters, Christ is looking for a spotless bride. Christ is looking for a spotless bride. And you may go to somewhere where the word is easier and it tickles your ears. But where do you stand at the end of it all? The Lord Jesus says that we are to take up his cross and come after him to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We looked at that word deny last week, a couple of weeks. It means you and I, when we get saved as a church, you and I are to take up, as it were, our own cross. We are to renounce ourselves. We are to renounce our wills and our wants and our own ways. When you got saved, you died. And Christ now liveth in you. And the life that you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved you, listen, and gave himself for you. Ken Davidson no longer lives, but Christ that liveth in me. You and I may feel, well, sometimes the old man raises his head, the old woman raises her head, and yes, they do. Go back to the cross. Go back to Christ. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near, we say. Here, we have the legalist saying, oh, live how you like, do what you want. Don't worry about an offense of the cross. And Paul says, listen, brothers and sisters, this is what Paul says. You can look up even what commentaries say about this. The enemies of the cross, they'll tell you they were legalists and they were liberalists. There was no balance in God's word with them. And listen to what, he, what, what they tell you if you read a, a variety of different commentaries. And they will tell you this. Now you think about it. For those who are going to a church that allows sin to be rife in the camp and undealt with. For those who are going to a church that does not pre- the, preach the blood in the book. That doesn't elevate the Son of God. Then there's no Holy Ghost. Now you listen. There's no Holy Spirit in it. If there's no Holy Ghost, there's no conviction. If there's no Holy Ghost, there's no conversion. You can have a good knees up. You can have a great time and have all your coffee shop ideas afterwards. You can know, and all those things are fine. But there's no substitute for the Holy Ghost. They believed salvation was without repentance, without renouncing their old life, 
their old ways and their old habits. They believed that salvation was without godly sorrow. Oh, don't need to be. Just come up the aisle or put up your hand. Listen, I was saved in an altar call. I'm saying nothing about that. I'm talking about true Holy Ghost conversion. But they're saying, you know what? Say this nice wee prayer. Now you're a Christian. They're leading men and women to hell. Salvation without godly sorrow or even true conversion. Wanting the benefits of the cross, but not the demands of the cross work. Paul tells us that they are the enemies of the cross. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now that's strong, isn't it? That's strong. To think that there are many, many, many people who are going to so liberalized churches and they, they actually had one, that they, I seen a, a video clip was sent to me of it, and uh, they were bringing in all sorts of uh, superstars into it and having their catwalks in their, in their church, modeling up and down. That's not the cross of Christ. That's not what Christ gave us life for. He gave us life that you and I would be saved. Men and women of God, blood-washed and blood-bought and separate and living for Christ. So we have the enemies of the cross. Turn with me, please, to the book of Philippians. The letter to the Philippian church, please, chapter 3. Why time is flying to chapter 3. And let's just look at verse 16. Nevertheless, where to we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing, brethren. Be followers together of me and mark them. Oh, sorry, I haven't turned mine over. That's why I'm looking at chapter 3. Where did I say, sorry? Philippians. Oh, yes, sorry. Yes, I'm at the right place. Brethren, be followers together of me. I thought I'd turn to Ephesians. And mark them which have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, notice this. This is where I was looking. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. And whose glory is their shame who mind earthly things. Now take note, first of all, their end. What is their end? Destruction. Death in this life, and it means damnation in the next. Who is their God? Their own belly. Things that satisfy their flesh. Things that they want. All the paraphernalia outside of, that's outside being brought in from the world. To make it acceptable to those who come into the church. Brothers and sisters, if the Word of God and the Spirit of God is not enough, then they're not acceptable to God. That's the whole long and short of the issue. It's not we must do to make it acceptable to them. They're not acceptable to God because this book and the Spirit of God is what saves men, bringing them to the blood of Christ. Amen. 
Their God is their belly. In other words, they live for themselves and they live in their own pleasure. Their glory is their shame. In other words, they gloried in things they should be ashamed about. That's what it means. They gloried in things that they should be ashamed about. You look at the world today. You look at the, uh, the gay pride parades and they should be ashamed the way half of them are naked and nude uh, going halfway through our streets and to their shame and disgust. And they're unashamed. They're unashamed. Young women now, and they go at it, and you can go through a town to a nightclub, and look, and I'm not a fuddy-duddy. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a fuddy-duddy. But I'll tell you one thing, they're going out at night to the nightclub, and I don't know whether you see them driving past them, or it's a belt or a skirt. And the young women and their, their ways are now worse than the young men. The young women are more sexualized than the young men now today. And it's unashamed. Even their families would help them on their way. Their mind, they mind earthly things. Their focus was to please themselves in this life and not to worship and please God. That's what that means. Their mind was set on getting along in this life rather than being concerned about the next, which is eternity. They were the enemies of the cross of Christ. Luke chapter 12, please, if you'll turn to it. Luke chapter 12. Listen to what the Lord Jesus again tells us. Verse 16. And then spake he a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thy fool, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things? Then shall those things be which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This man says, look what I've got. I'm going to have a fantastic life. I'm going to party all my days. I have my barns full. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. And he thinks he has the whole world at his feet. The world's his oyster. And God looking says, thy fool, this night, Thy soul shall be required of thee. Brothers and sisters, let us be aware. Friend, if you're unsaved, we know not the day nor the hour. We know not the time when God will call or come. And let us all be mindful that we must know him in this life in order to be with him in the next. Turn again with me to Philippians chapter 3, please. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. 
who mind earthly things, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says here, the idea is our, con- our conversation, our lifestyle, or in other words, our citizenship, our citizen obligation, it means. Once you got saved, you're under an obligation. Did you know that? One, you're under an obligation to go and preach Christ, teach Christ, tell Christ. You're under an obligation to reach the lost. You're under an obligation. Once you've heard this word, and if you're not saved, you're under an obligation right now because you've heard his word. Do I receive Christ or do I reject him? Here, Paul says our citizenship or our lifestyle is marked in heaven. And when Christ comes or calls, we will stand as Christians on how we have been. Have we been good citizens for the kingdom of God? What would you say? Brothers and sisters, look, I know this message is maybe a a hard message and a tougher message. It's straight to the point. But you know, brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that I as the pastor will stand before God and give an account for you. Every one of you will be called up and I will be alongside of you. What did you tell them? How did you teach them? What did you show them? What about this and what about that? And I will give an account. You will give an account for your life, for your service, for your love of Christ. And the unsaved will give an account. But it's too late. So we have the enemies of the cross. Will you turn to me with me to First Corinthians chapter one, please? Verse eighteen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We have the offense of the cross. We have the enemies of the cross. And now we have the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross. For the preaching of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. The word here, preaching, is the word logos. Now, many times when you read the word preaching in the Greek New Testament or in the New Testament, it's the word karuso, and it means to cry like an herald. John the Baptist came preaching, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was crying in the wilderness like a herald. It's like, uh, it's like you used to get the old town criers in all of the towns. That's the idea. Preaching at the top of your voice. Heralding a warning. But here it's different. The preaching of the cross entails much more than just crying. The, the word here is logos. It's the exact same word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God, from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. This is the the same word, logos, for the Word. And it gives the idea of giving an account of the cross. Giving an account of the work of of Christ on the cross. The blood of Christ on the cross the wounds of Christ on the cross, and the death of Christ on the cross. 
It's speaking of the cross, telling of the cross, witnessing of the cross, and preaching of the cross. And what Paul is telling us here, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, listen, foolishness. You're a mug. You're stupid, it means. You believe that a man hanging on a tree, you believe a man being pierced and nailed hand and foot, you believe that this man, this spiritual guru, if he even existed, some say, you believe in him, you are a fool, they say. You're a fool. Paul says to those who are perishing, they think we're fools. The word here for foolishness, to them that perish, it's foolishness. It's a word moria, moria. And it's where we get our wor- the word moros from, or where we get our English word moron from. So what he's saying is those who believe in the cross, they're saved. And the cross work of Christ. But those, he says, who are perishing, the unsaved, don't even realize. It's like a bowl of fruit and you set out a bowl of fruit that looks lovely. And it's nice and colorful, maybe apples and oranges or whatever. And you go back every day and it looks the same. Then suddenly the wrinkles come as it starts to dry up. And such is the life. Then suddenly we find that it's rotten right through. It's cast away. It's no good to be used. And Paul is taking this and he's saying, there are those and they're perishing. They're living They're existing, they're getting on with their life, but little do they know they're perishing. Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Because they say, you're a moron. That's what it means. The cross, believing in the cross, you're a moron. It means it's absurd. It means it's nonsense. It's moronic to believe. That this man paid for your debt of sin. So that's what he says the unbeliever thinks. He says the perishing here is the word apolume. It means ones put out of the way, the lost, those who are going to ruin, spiritually destitute, the unsaved it means. Those perishing, ending in full, complete and total destruction at their latter end. This is what Paul is saying. Those people are saying the cross Who believes in the cross work of Christ? You're a moron on a foot. In the same chapter, verses 22 and 23, Paul gives us an idea what he means. He says, the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. The Jews were looking for Messiah. They're looking for the great champion. They're looking for the Revelation 19 uh, white, white horse rider coming called the Word of God and King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They were looking for him. But this lamb comes, this man, and he hangs on a cross and dies. He says, they come, they say, you're a fool to believe in the cross. You're a fool. It's moronic. The Greeks, with all their philosophy, they're looking for some hero and champion, someone with great speech. They're looking for a great orator who can come and speak over the world, great things. And yet, they look at the cross and they say, you're a fool for believing in the cross. Paul says they're perishing. 
He says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. He says, but unto us who are saved. Hallelujah. Saved by grace. Unto us who are saved, who know Christ as Lord and Savior. Unto us who are saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb. It is the power of God, he says. The word power there is the dunamis of God. It means, it's where we get our word dynamite from. You want to know what real dynamite is? Come to the cross. You want to know what real power is? Look at the cross. You want to see the power of God? Look at his son on the cross. He says, it's dynamite. It's not moronic, it's dynamite. Things that are impossible with man are made possible with God, for man cannot save himself. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Stay with me. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It means the, the strength of God. It's the ability of God. The cross was the ability of God to save a depraved human race. Think about that. To save the lost sheep. It was the ability of God. That's what it means. The strength of God it took to raise me up from my sin. The strength of God was seen in the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. It means the inherent power residing in a thing. Give you an example. You get a stick of dynamite. You can hold it in one hand. And it's got the fuse coming out. And it means that the power that's in that dynamite, it's inactive unless it's ignited. That's the dunamis. That's why it's dynamite. But when you light it, set it down and get away quickly. For the power is about to be unleashed. See the man and the woman who are in their sin. And they're on the broad road to destruction. And they're perishing every day. And they're going to go to hell. And there's no one can save them. And there's nothing they can do. And there's no help for them. Then comes a mighty arm of God. The power of God in Christ. Only God can do it. It's the dynamite of God. So, the offense of the cross, the enemies of the cross, the preaching of the cross. Let me just briefly look at the death of the cross. Turn with me again, please, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6 says, Who, speaking of the Lord Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. Two quick points. First of all, the Roman world here, as they were the empire that were ruling at the time, the Roman world, we know exactly what Paul was speaking of here because the crucifixion of hands and feet was well known in Rome. It was actually what they did. In Psalm 22, uh, David, through the spirit of prophecy, cries, they pierced my hands and my feet. Speaking of Christ that would come and die. They didn't crucify with hands and feet then, just through the hands. But here now, in Christ's day, he has now uh, went to the grave and he's uh, resurrected, ascended to the Father. 
And Paul writing this is speaking about him. And notice what he says here. He went to the cross. He says he went to death, even the death of the cross. The Romans were repulsed by the person who would be put to death by Roman crucifixion. They did it in Rome and they were repulsed by it. There was a Roman philosopher called Marcus Tullius Cicero who was alive from 106 BC to around 43 BC. And this is what he says of crucifixion. Listen, this Roman, listen. But far be the name of a cross, not only from the body, but even from the thought, the eyes, the ears of Roman citizens. They detested the cross. It was so barbaric. You were vile. You were vile if you hung on a cross. The cruel, evil barbarity of this torture implement, which was slow, agonizing in its death, it had a 100% mortality rate. It was the worst judgment and affliction on the non-Roman citizen. How gross and how horrific, how fearful it was to them. They didn't want to even think or hear of crucifixion. But the Lord Jesus, Paul says, became obedient unto death, even the death. That's why he says, even. He became obedient to death. Listen, and he goes, even the death of the cross. The Jews would understand this also because in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, says, if a man committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, thou hang him on a tree. Then 23 says, For he that is hanged upon a tree is accursed of God. And Paul now takes this and he says to those who would be Jewish listeners, he turns around and says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Listen to Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs, that's the Romans, have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked, that's the Jews, have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Paul says he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Lastly and quickly, we have the enduring the cross. Enduring the cross. Hebrews 12 and 2. The writer says, Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. word here for endure is a word, hupomeno. And hupomeno means to remain, to tarry, to abide, to bear bravely and calmly, to persevere. So Christ, he done all of those when he hung on the cross. In Luke chapter 2, verse 43, we have the story of the child Jesus being lost after his parents had went to pay their taxes and so on. And they're coming out three days' journey. They realize little Jesus isn't with the band of people going back home, and they go back again at 12 years of age and find him in the temple. Listen to what Luke chapter 2, verse 43 says. The child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. The word the child Jesus tarried is the exact same word for enduring, enduring the cross. In other words, 
He waited in Jerusalem. He stayed in Jerusalem. He tarried in Jerusalem. He was abiding in Jerusalem. And he did not leave Jerusalem until his mom and dad came. Or his stepdad, I should say. Christ on the cross, they cried to him, If thou be the Son of God, save thyself and come down. Christ could have called 72,000 angels to come to his rescue. He could have spoke the words and those nails would have popped out of his hands and his feet. Just had to speak the word. But no. He thought of you. He thought of you. He thought of you. He thought of me. And he endured the cross. The barbarity, even the death of the cross. In the face of the enemies of his cross. So we will keep preaching the cross. Through even the offense of the cross. God bless his word to all of our hearts tonight.